Hey everyone, welcome to Rajit Show, the show where I interview people who are reshaping what it means to live well in the 21st century. We talk the creator economy, learning and building in public, and how we can hack our way out of our most pressing issues. Enjoy. Okay, so hi Hugo, thanks for joining me. For having me. And yeah, we're recording this now, obviously, the presidential election's going on, so it's a little bit crazy, but thanks thanks so much for joining me. And I don't thank you for having me. I haven't slept well for the past like, couple of, of days, because obviously I'm, I'm in Europe and I care a bit less about the US election than you probably do, but this is so fascinating. And so for us, a lot of things were happening while we were sleeping, so I would just wake up at two or three in the morning, just like randomly, and then be like, fuck, what's happening? And just like update the map. And of course, nothing was happening, and I was like, come on. Who said breakfast and move fast and break things? That's the US. And now like they're even slower than the Europe people. So that was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good for my mental health. I, I'm the same way. I woke up. First thing I did this morning was check the electoral tally. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that ends up. Okay. So, so I, I reached out to you and I mentioned that I'm writing a book about indie creators. And so when I first got interested in indie creators, I was actually looking at this online community called Indie Hackers. And that was my first time figuring out uh, what an indie hacker was and how amazing it was. People like Daniel Vasallo quitting their $500,000 a year job at Amazon to make like two info products and, and sell them on Gumroad. And so when did, I, I would love if you could talk about when you started learning about indie creators and what your first experience was and what your impressions were on there. Okay, so that's, it's going to be difficult to really answer that question like straight away without like going uh, a little bit in the context because indie, yeah, indie hackers is, is you know, it's, it's like a new term that is awesome and I love the community and, mm-hmm. and like Cortland is doing like like a, an amazing job at fostering that community. But but for me, it took me a while to understand what it was, like where it was, what was like located in, I would say like the online entrepreneurship map because I've I've spent a lot of time helping founders like basically grow more ambitious. I was part of a company called The Family for seven years. And, and that company is basically fostering an, like an entrepreneurial ecosystem in Europe. And in Europe, we have the problem that people are not ambitious enough. It's not the people you move, you go around Paris or Berlin or London, London a little bit less, but, and then people are just randomly telling you like in parties or in coffees, like, yeah, man, like I'm going to conquer the world. That's not like the ethos. So for us and for me, I've been just trying all the time to take any founder and, and by default raise their ambition 10x because maybe they're not going to do 10x of ambition but that's going to just get like a higher ceiling for them and then we're like hey maybe i can dream it's for us like the the obsession has been to create this community of super ambitious people like ambition works like a vacuum like the more you have ambitious people around you like the more it's going to be normal it's like if you ask a fish to talk about water they're gonna be like yeah sure man bro water that's normal so we wanted to do the same things with with founders like yeah ambition for sure it's everywhere around me so then i'm ambition so that's the thing that like i wanted to say that because indie hackers is an awesome community but for me it was always like okay what is the components what are the components that is making this community and so i thought about it and i was like okay it's not like the anti-startup world. It's not like in a position of like uh, all the, the like uh, VC-backed startups, YC things, uh, Andres and all, it's that. Yeah. I, I think it's the same 
kind of people who understand that the leverage that internet offers, they're like, wow, this is just like an amazing tool that I can basically use to harness the power of all those things. But I don't have the same, I'm, I'm not optimizing for the same things. So let me explain. For me, there is three, three things that you can optimize and it's going to redefine the people you meet. And if you understand that about the people you meet and you understand about yourself, you understand a lot of things for me in the world. There's three things. First thing you can, three things. You can optimize for glory. You can optimize for freedom or you can optimize for security. And so the people who are going to do startups, they obviously optimize for glory. Optimizing for glory means basically you go, you go at war. Like the people, uh, do you remember like this movie, Troy? Yeah. Like Troy yeah. with Brad Pitt? Yeah, yeah. And, and the guy, is, he, he talks with the wife and he's like, I can go uh, fight for Troy or whatever. And then the wife tells like, yeah, sure. So he's asking like, what should I do? And then the wife says, you have two options. You can stay here. You're like a king, like a like what do you say like a king of a clan or, or a tribe and you're really famous people are, are, are going to love you and they're going to uh, just talk about you and maybe your kids are going to remember you your grandkids etc but then it's done uh, and then you can also go to war right you'll probably die it's almost sure that you're going to die but if you die or if you don't die like you're going to be glorious and people are going to write songs uh, about you forever and ever and i think that the startup is like that uh, you go for glory so you take all the re- leverage and all the risk you can get and you will probably die but you potentially could become glorious. And that's not, that's not good. That's just the kind of people that are playing as like a, a kind of game. Mm-hmm. And, and once you know that game is like that, then you're okay with this. Then you can optimize for freedom. And I think it's more like the indie hacker uh, mindset. It's, I don't want investors because that's just limiting my, my freedom. I don't want employees, but that's probably also limiting my freedom. I want digital slaves, so like scripts and code and, and all those things that can help me decorrelate my input and my output. Uh, but I really want to optimize for freedom. And so for me, like those indie hackers, I almost want to call them like freedom first entrepreneurs or freedom first internet entrepreneurs. Yeah. And obviously you have the people who are optimizing for security, but they're getting jobs at companies and it's also fine. And it's a game that usually we talk less about because we're more fascinated by the, by the other things. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting for me looking at it i'm in college and it seems to see that path is obviously right you go and and you leave college and you get a job and you work for x number of years and it's they've flipped it in a sense where now you can leave but you're an independent contributor so your income varies month to month and you have to keep innovating to keep yourself alive the thing that's been so reassuring for me is that it seems like it's easier to make money online than ever before. And I wonder about how that's going to change the way people choose to live their lives and the way that people choose to design their lifestyles. Yeah. And that's the struggle that I guess you, a lot of people are in and that you are in is that it feels like you have access to the future. You're on Twitter. So it's this kind of like salon where everybody uh, is thinking together uh, and, and that's one reality. And then you go back to school and then there's like all the students who have like students problematics and they also are probably like optimizing for security and, and you, you Now, what we're witnessing is that people are starting to realize that slowly, like slowly, really, little by little, one person by one person, but they're starting to realize that uh, you don't need to ask permission for anything anymore. And I think that the world is separated between the people who think that you need to ask for permission 
still. And the people who understood that it's over, just 10 years ago, uh, you needed to basically convince someone to put you, like to program you somewhere to have access to an audience. So the audience was basically permissioned. And, and then YouTube happened and basically anyone can create uh, content and then distribute it to uh, anyone anywhere in the world. And that really was an absolute revolution. And like every revolution, people are slowly realizing it. And it, there is like a way or a moment in time where you have the two communities, the people who realize and then the people who don't, who are living together and that's creating some dissonance. But for me, what's really fascinating about this, like I would say, I, I call that like the, the post-permission economy or reality, is that just realizing that you don't need the permission for anyone to learn, create or distribute anything is like super liberating. You needed like the, the permission to learn from universities. Now, like yeah. you say, like you just go online, you learn anything. Yeah. You needed the permission to build because you needed capital in general to build uh, anything. It could be a factory or even a startup. I mean, 15, 20 years ago, you needed like to raise money before you could build anything. There was no Stripe, no nothing. Just And I remember that time. It was super frustrating. Uh, uh, so it was permission, even if it was the startup world. And of course, to distribute it, it's now it's becoming a community. So going back to your question, like, how is it changing the life of the new generation? I think it's equally changing the life of one part of this generation that realized that, that they can bypass any old institution or any old gatekeeper. And at the same time, it's even less changing the life of the people who play the old game, because the more they understand something is going on, but they don't want to realize it the more they're getting frozen. And it's really unfair, I would say, in a way. Yeah, yeah, I love that phrase, post-permission world. So did you come up with that? Yeah, if, I mean, in French, I, I like in French originally, I had started a podcast around that and I called it uh, sans permission, which means without permission. And I was like, how do you call that? How do you call like the, the sans permission thing? And I was like, okay, this is like the, the permissionless which is like a crypto world, you know, like the permissionless ledger technology, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I was like, okay, how do you say like that the permission is over post-permission? I was like, okay, why not? But that's just one word. Yeah, that's awesome. When did you come up with that? Or, or what sort of led you to declaring that this is the post-permission world? Was there a particular incident or, or some sort of story that you can remember? Or No, like long story short, I started my, uh, my career in the music business. I was uh, 18 and I wanted to become uh, an artist and I realized pretty quickly that uh, I was absolutely not talented enough to be anywhere near the word artist. So I was like, fuck that. And, and then I started to like ask myself, how can I help artists? And so people told me like, oh, you have to go to, to major labels. You have to work at Universal or whatever. And so that's mm -hmm. what I did. And obviously that was the worst way to actually help artists because like the world of music was getting destroyed by this kind of like post-permission reality and it was the first word the first industry to get absolutely just devastated by by um, by this like i would say like this tsunami and and for me it really fueled this this rebellion or this frustration about we don't need the permission of any major label or the artists don't need the permission of any major label to actually access the audience and, and take ownership of their project. And so I, I built a crowdfunding and crowdsourcing uh, music label, I would say, which was basically like a Kickstarter style, like a donation based uh, crowdfunding platform on, on which I attached a marketplace 
of skills with like vetted like providers to to basically like create your project. So you would raise yeah. money from your fans, strengthen the artist fan relationship, and spend that money with people that will just print the the, the things, the t-shirt, etc. And so the thing was like, okay, now you don't need the labels, right? Yeah. But the thing is that most of the artists were still not like were not and still not, but like at the time even less. It was ten years ago. They were not thinking like that at all. And so like mixing that realization from the old music industry and the old artist mindset with then spending t- the next 10 years basically helping startups grow and be more ambitious and seeing young entrepreneurs that have learned anything online, just coding, etc., go on and build like VC-backed, amazing like traction startups. I was like, it's it sounds like this... Po- permission thing is not just like one small isolated phenomenon it's basically all across the board and so that was like okay like how can you call how can you describe to someone that doesn't have like this music industry experience or the startup experience but just like he's a kid of 18 years old how you explain to that kid that like he can do anything that was i was just talk about permission because that's the common ground yeah. And what you just mentioned there reminds me of this new phenomenon of, well, relatively new phenomenon of building and learning in public. I think people have the opportunity to build their audience online by sharing what they've learned as they learn it. But people also have the opportunity to just blow up, as you talked about. I, I know friends on Twitter, and, and depending on sort of what bubble in, in Twitter you occupy, it can be yeah. a pretty amazing place. And I think huh. we're close to the same bubble-ish. But I, really? I see people my age, yeah, just start companies and then just get money for them and, and, and just start rolling. It, Who do you have in mind, for example? Yeah, Sudarshan probably comes to mind. I interviewed someone else uh, a couple weeks ago called Nathan Long. Nathan used to go to the University of Michigan. And uh, after his uh, first year, he got an internship at Google. And he was thinking about coming back. And he said, you know what? I'm going to stay at Google. And so then he kept interning at Google for the rest of the year and then started working at a startup called Jupiter, which is getting people access to groceries. It's automating grocery ordering. But it was just so amazing to me because he's a year older than I am. And that's a completely different life than you'd think someone could live at... 19, 20 years old, but he did it. And specifically companies like Pioneer App or it, it just democratizing access to money because before I feel like it, it might've been about status or who you knew and external factors. But I think it's really shifting towards what have you built and what do you have in a more substance-based economy and a more substance-based identification of talent and I'm wondering if you noticed that at all, specifically in your time at the family, and maybe you could just talk about advice you would have in general for people my age, because now we are living in this post-permission world. And so the old rules don't really apply anymore. And so what sort of advice would you maybe give a young entrepreneur or someone my age? I, I, I have clarity about about what I can bring right now to this to this world, and I mostly can bring the energy and enthusiasm about like sharing that realization with people. But I would not I would not give advice except mm-hmm. doing the meta version of it, which means like saying to those young people, just go listen 
to the Naval podcast, which for me is basically the gospel of this post-permission world. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you've seen probably like the, the Naval tweet storm, how to get rich uh, without getting lucky, which has like a really catchy title, but actually is way deeper uh, than that. And basically that tweet storm is maybe like 20, 25 tweets. And he went on, I would say like commenting on that tweet storm because it was also a tweet storm that was done like when Twitter was 140 characters. It was even more succinct than what it is now. And he went on commenting that tweet storm in a podcast that he did uh, with his brother, I think. And so that, I would say, like those advices, like all the things that we're talking about is just like one application, one like concretization of those concepts in one area of the world, which is for us, like the Twitter era of those people are starting to build like in public. So they're like, oh, I'm going to have like public accountability of what I'm doing. So instead of just jerking off in my room because I have no one that is watching what I do and I actually are, I, I don't amount for anything. Now I have this community, which I've like yeah. pushed myself and basically announced that I'm going to do something and they're going to be like happy if I succeed. They're not going to judge me right. saying, hey, you said you were going to do that and now we feel bad because you succeed and so we'd rather you to, like have you fail. It's the opposite way around. They're like, okay, you know what? Because you're in fucking India or because you're in the, like in the US or in France, if you succeed, it doesn't threaten me straight away. It's not like if I have a friend of mine, like in my close friends where like we are looking to be like competitive and then there is one that is obviously way richer than us, way more successful than us. And it feels a little bit bad. Like at, every time we meet each other, I'm like, ah, I feel a little bit bad because we are all like all humans. Even people on Twitter, they feel that's like uh, a thing. But because it's on Twitter, we, we just hang out with each other a few minutes or a few dozens of minutes per day. So we can only, it's fine if we only celebrate each other. So building in public is really having access to that. Building accountability yeah. and having no downside of like FOMO or jealousy or anything that is still humans because it's a bit uh, more far away. So you only share the upside and never any downside. And I think that this building in public really is linked to the inherent nature of internet. And, and then if you expand that building in public, which is like the accountability part, so just get your ass out there and then people will only celebrate you and not be jealous of you, which is like building public. And then you have like internet leverage, which is code and media code. You just put uh, some letters in like online and then the magical robots of internet will run that code for you anytime you want and you're going to go back to sleep. And media is obviously you put out a podcast or, or a text. And again, the magic robots of internet will distribute it for you without your interaction. And you can go back to sleep, which is really important for me. Go back to sleep. That's the obsession of what I do. So how can I just go back to sleep and it continues working? It's really fueled by like the magic of what has happened in internet for the past 20 years. And for me, the big struggle that I have is that when you're on Twitter, everything is easy because you talk to people who've had those realizations block by block and they have the same house. And then when you tweet something, if you had like another brick on top of that house, but everybody understands the rest of the house. And then you get out of Twitter and then you yeah. go into the real world. And the real world is really important because this this is where you want the 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 this realization to, to be distributed. Yeah. And you just talk about this brick that you just wanted to add to, to the whole building or the whole house. And then nobody understands no that because understands they're like, bro, what do you mean building public? You know, Whoa, what do you mean like internet leverage? What do you mean zero cost of marginal reproduction? And then so how can you talk about all those things, but then condense it so quick 
that then you can help them bypass all those years of realization that you've had. That's something that I really not struggle with, but I, I really try to explore as well. That's something I see as well, where in the circle that I occupy on Twitter and look around on Twitter, it's people saying really crazy things and having really unbelievable ideas and just going, okay, let's pursue this. Let's do this in a way that doesn't make sense to, I think, 99% of people because that's not their environment. And it probably goes back to what we talked about before, the old rules. You're not supposed to do it like this. What does it mean to share your life online? What does it mean to share your work online as you and I have? And what does it mean to be a founder and be a creator in a time like this? I feel like anyone... I, I spoke to Justin Murphy two podcasts ago and he talked about content creators in a way that I, I thought was really helpful. And I'm wondering, I, I, I figure that you probably see yourself as a content creator too, because you've written a really good blog that helped me and, and I'm sure some other people understand some things. And so he talked about content creators. He, he said content creators are creating new realities online. And so in that sense, he described them as world builders and statesmen in that we create these ideas about what it means to learn in public, what it means to build in public, but also just interesting ideas that only we can share because whatever you create is by definition uniquely yours. And we create this ecosystem around that, whether we recognize it or not, and then we allow other people to feed off that ecosystem. And so now we've created this reality online, right? Where you and I are talking about building, learning in public. And then in a couple of weeks, this is going to be online somewhere for anyone to see if they really want to go look for it. And so the thing that's so interesting is that this online reality can start feeding back into our current reality, right? Because we're not bounded by the same variables of geography and status and even some ways socioeconomic status that we were before. The internet enables anyone to talk to anyone. I, I cold messaged you online. That's the way that we set this up. It's an unbelievable time, I think, to be a founder and to be someone looking to create something. But I also think that we underappreciate overwhelmingly what it means to be a content creator but also the power of the realities that we create online to influence our physical realities. Absolutely. And then really, to me, what you describe is really this, like those new forms of, forms of leverage that Naval talks a lot about, which for me was a big realization. Like you, you, can, you can have a, like old school kind of leverage, which is like people uh, and capital. So basically you don't want to work, you give it to somebody else and then you have 10 employees and those employees work for you. That's leverage and you have capital. You just invest in your company or you just invest in another company and this capital will work, will work and then you don't. That's a form of leverage. But of course, those leverage for 18 year olds, 18 year old kid in, I don't know, like in China or, or let's yeah, like yeah. whatever else in mm -hmm. the world, they were not available at all. And, and of course, because it was not available for them, they can, they could not do anything. They could do something. Doesn't mean that they were stuck uh, into like starvation. They could hustle their way around, but they couldn't do anything. Uh, and because you cannot do anything, your intimate like uh, personality. And when, when I say intimate personality or your authentic personality, it's not that I want to say like this authentic way, like the yoga would talk about, oh, your authentic self. I don't really care much about that. I'm ta more talking about the fact that we are all weird, but for whatever reason, 
before we needed to like dose down that weirdness to be like around like the same lowest common denominator that we could in our physical space. So you were like, oh, I'm, I'm a young kid in France in a small village. I'm starting to feel that I'm like, I have some like small obsessions that are sometimes weird because I push them a lot. This is not going to be useful. This is not going to be leverageable like around me. So I'm just not going to explore that so much and I'm going to tune it down and I'm going to look like maybe four, five, 10, 50 different kind of like human models that I can choose from. And so you would do that because again, you could not do anything. You could only have a limited option of things you can do. I become like a teacher. I become like a carpenter. I'm going with like the old school examples. And I would just try to move up the social hierarchy and I will maybe become a doctor and then et cetera. Because internet happened, it allows us, one, to explore our own weirdness. And yeah. I don't say that in a bad way. I say that like you follow your yeah, curiosity without a friction. So you follow your curiosity without friction. We call that the internet rabbit hole. And you can go in multiple internet rabbit hole. You will find a video of this, of that, that. You will just start to toy around with this. We've all gone. And I think the generation of Twitter uh, that we interact with have all gone through the same thing. And because there is no friction to following this obsessive curiosity somewhere, then you will start to discover yourself, your weird self. And because you don't need to make that weird, like that weirdness and that weird obsession, you don't need to make it useful in a local context. So you don't need to think about, oh, am I going to be a carpenter? Am I going to be like a, a doctor, etc.? You decide to explore it a bit more freely. And, and this is where the magic comes in, because then you can find your like niche weird community that also followed their uh, curiosity to a weird point, you can find them anywhere online. If, if you have, for me, like this realization happened when I was in Colombia, traveling around like in, in random places. And at some point I came to a mid-sized Colombian city, which is really not like a, a megapole or whatever, maybe like a hundred thousand people. So you're like, okay, okay cool. Yeah. And then I go to this, for whatever reason, like some friends or people that I followed, like we went into a hard rock like a bar, right? So like metal thing. And I was like, I entered that place and I saw all like small Colombians, like tall Colombians, but they look like Colombians, but with the same codes of the death metal that you would find in the US. Singing the same song with live band doing the same pogo, like literally copy paste. Yeah. I'm like, wow, first, that's weird. Let's be honest. But second, that's awesome. Yeah, because wow. those people... Like, and of course it, it went, it's not, this thing is not because of internet so much. It's more about television and probably like the diffusion of music, etc. But because this is a big niche, right? It's not like a super small niche, but think about this thing happening at like an, an order of magnitude, more fragmentation with internet. And you have people who are sharing memes, like super weird Reddit memes, yeah. like in like maybe a hundred, two thousand, five thousand, ten thousand people. How much is that like in terms of a niche of proportion with the humanity? And so you have that moment where anyone can do anything and find people like them so they can reinforce this acceptance. And then in the meantime, suddenly all the leverage to actually monetize that weirdness. So to transform it into energy that could potentially create values, not just energy that you keep in yourself and that you're nurturing yourself, which is important. Suddenly, you can also build anything online, not just be anyone or just cultivate this awareness, but build anything online. And it took a lot of time because seriously, 
20 years ago, when I built my startup, it was 2010. Yeah. It costed a lot of money to just host your, your things online. So like there okay. was not like Amazon Web Services so much. We didn't have Stripe. So we had to go through some weird payments, like ways to basically accept a currency. And it could be in one country, but not in all countries. Yeah, yeah. Every new country you needed to have like a new, it was a shit. And it was just 2010. But before that, you needed to basically invest capital to build anything because you needed to build anything from scratch so you could not build on top of shoulders of giants and then right. what, what was like for me really like fucking incredible when was stripe arrived because for people stripe is like, yeah, it's a cool company it's valued like uh, whatever 60 billion and, uh, and the ceo is really thoughtful yeah, yeah, yeah. on twitter i really like this guy like this small irish dude i'm like for me the world can be separated in the people who understand stripe and the like tremendous company that is like generation defining in terms of empowering anyone to sell anything online and the people who said like yeah it's a cool company why not and that moment really liberated the, the and opened the door to like an army of rebels or of i don't know if you want to call them the orcs in in the lord of the rings yeah because yeah. they're like they can just build randomly like not being yeah. smart but just they can try shit they so were like, arming just, the rebels yeah Exactly. But arming like the, the rebels in the rebels are don't have to be smart. Like the rebels can be super dumb, but they can try anything. And that's the magic part. Of it. And so for me, that was like what, what you're describing is really you can be weird. You have access to like permissionless leverage now that can help you either find and reinforce your weirdness or sell that weirdness to people. And now you can just debundle yourself from your physical world. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you see Paul Graham on Twitter said Stripe is the next Google? Did you notice I mean, that? Like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Again, people who understand like what Stripe is enabling today and in the next in the future have to understand that realization that I just talked about. Yeah. If they have if they are moved, I'm talking about like emotionally moved by a, a company like Stripe. Not talking rationally about like, yeah, sure, payment is difficult. They enabled payment and they have an API, you can plug everything and that. No. Bro. I want to cry when I talk about Stripe. That's like, that's how I separate the people in the world almost. Yeah, you built this startup and, and they made it so much easier for you, I bet. I bet. And the first time you, you go try, you're like, that's it? That's the only thing I have to do is to put like, like a li two lines of code and without having done anything tremendous, I can sell, I can accept payment in the rest of the world yeah. without anyone's permission. And, I, and it's legal. I'm not like, I'm not just like asking Bitcoins around to sell weed. So I can do legal shit in one click. It's for me, it's just, it's insane. Yeah. Maybe I'll start crying now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I know marketers online, all sorts of people just on Gumroad that they can monetize anything. This guy is charging five bucks to, to review your Twitter bio. Just like, why the heck not make money on the internet? And obviously Stripe's motto is increase the GDP of the internet. And yeah. it'll be so interesting to see. There's a whole ecosystem spinning up now, helping people learn to earn money online. I don't know if you've seen visualized value. Yeah, for sure. And to me, those people are really the kids. And I'm not talking about the kids like in a bad way. Uh, I, I think about myself as that. They're the kids of Naval. Because obviously what Naval did like beautifully writing and describing 
what is happening in the world in terms of like new paradigm, we just apply it. And even if we realized it intuitively from what we've been doing, oh yeah, like just the fact that somebody is structuring it in a really digital and poetic, I would say, way, makes us like just, I don't know how you can say it's the gospel and then the, the people who are just spreading the gospel. But to me, what like visualizing value is doing, which yeah. basically is creating like a meme and the meme is like exactly, build yeah. once, sell twice. Yeah. This thing, like four words, like when you really understand that, and I think Naval made us really understand what we were actually doing, you like your words, you changes. Like you have this whole thing like of productized services. On Twitter, people say, yeah, sure, productized services. When you go around you in the real world, in the real business world, and you talk about productized services, it might take you an hour to actually explain or have someone understand like the, like the magnitude of change that brings to the world of agencies. You're like, bro, you have an agency, it's 30% it's margin, it's non-scalable because there's a lot of people involved. Like productized services means that you're going to basically take whatever you were doing and the margins are going to be like 90%, 80%. And you're going to be using a lot of things to leverage your agency and transforming it into something like half scalable. Mm -hmm. Just this is almost impossible to share. That's for me, like something that I'm a little bit scared about. Before, like internet, you already had the people who benefited from globalization and free trade. I'm talking about like free trade outside of the border of a state, not inside a border of a state. I think that inside a border of a state, free trade is a net positive all the time. Okay. But that there were already like this differentiation between the people who benefit from globalization, the people who suffer from it. I think that right now, all we're, all, the fact that we can talk about this and there is like maybe a million people on Twitter who can understand, but there is the rest of the world that will be basically like, what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah. I think that this is accelerating like people who are winning from globalization and, and losing from globalization. And I think that's what's happening in the U.S. is exactly that, unconsciously. And that's what scares me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, specifically, if, if you look at the rhetoric of both sides, not to get too much into it, but, right, people do say the Democrats are the party of big tech and then the Republicans are the party of the American voter and, and worker. And, and we'll see if that's what that actually means. But it, it is an interesting point is that this, ecosystem is already having ripple effects and, and feedback on so many other industries. You started with music. I didn't even know that. And it's so funny. I guess we're all just right. Colombians in, in that hard rock cafe being super weird online, but it's great. Yeah, it's great. Exactly. I, I used to think that the internet was letting me be more human. If that makes sense, it was letting me share parts of myself that I couldn't. It, it, I'm, I'm more articulate in written word than I am in person and in speaking. So it was easier for me to, if I had a thought, an idea that I was really thinking about, to write it down and then put it up on the blog or something like that. Uh -huh. And then anyone could interact with it. Um, it's insane. It's just, to, just to go on that. So like the way I started my career was like, okay, I want to be in the music business. I want to start thinking about the music business and try to bring value to this. Obviously, it was going through a big change of like just like being like uh, Uberized. So I, I, it, there was a space. I, I bought uh, a domain name, which is the equivalent of musicindustry.com, but in French. 
and I started to write about that, like analyses about like the, the changes, everything. Like in under a year, like the big boss of like universal like music in France just called me like to, to get advices. And I was like 19, like half playing FIFA, like in the half naked in my apartment. Yeah, for real. And I was like, and I didn't put a picture on, on the website. And it was no LinkedIn at the time. So it was just like me online. And I was like, this guy 100% doesn't realize that I'm just a student and that I'm, I, I don't know, I have no idea like about most of the things. But like they say, you can like in, in internet, nobody cares if you're a monkey. Yeah, no one does. Well, no one does. And so I basically started to have thoughts like you put those thoughts out there and it basically scaled the conversations that I could have with people by having my thoughts being leveraged by a blog. Wow. That's an unbelievable story. And yeah, just to go back to what you said, no one cares. It's the post-permission world, right? No one, how old you are doesn't matter. You know, what, what you've done before doesn't matter. It's just what are you doing right now? What are you building right now? And how can you share that? And that's unbelievable. I'm 19 right now. And you're, you're talking to the head of Universal in Europe. That's nuts. Um, yeah. yeah. It's literally that. Obviously, like at the time, not a lot of people were talking about the music business. So because the opportunity was bigger, the, the reward also was. And, and probably right now, like it would take a, a bit more than this than to be able to stand out because there's a lot of people online that realize that even if they're 19. But I think that those opportunities are less obvious right now. They're more niche, but especially because you're an English speaker, which is like an amazing like upside, like advantage when you know, you're in, in internet today, like niches are becoming empire. So because niches are the new empires, you don't care to take over like thought leadership about, I don't know, like uh, the industrial uh, revolution of whatever. You can take like a super specific topic that is really weird. But again, if you build an audience around that, and there's going to be an audience for that, because if, even if it's 0.001% of the population online, it's already a shitload of people, people will call you up just like that, just the way you called me up. Like what, what I'm doing right now, which is also linked back to like this kind of, oh, I'm 19, everything is possible. I started to blog around the creator economy because I am fascinated, like it's been 10 years and I'm fascinated by the topic, obviously, but I feel that right now is the right time. And the way that I did was literally, like you said, starting to half build in public, which is, I just tweeted out, okay, I'm going to write an article about this and here's what it's going to be about. Who wants to read the draft? And that's how a lot of people, potentially you included, started to get in touch with me. And then I just shared a draft of what I was thinking and then like started to iterate on that from one, potentially the comments that people were making on this draft, but more importantly, two, just the fact that people were interested about that topic, just wanted to get like jump on calls with me and, yeah. and jumping on calls means that you can start to articulate this thing to share it to someone and then yourself have some realization through the dialectic is the same way that people like and Y Combinator start to tell you, talk to your users, build your product, and that's it. Yeah. It's the same when you're building content or you want to build a brand for yourself, but you don't know exactly how or where, or you want to start being in movement to find the little insights that will have outsized returns. Mm. The best way to just announce something online, yeah. get on call with people, start to see the sparkles in their eyes when you talk about a specific thing, take that sparkle put it in an article, a blog, a podcast, or whatever, a video, 
scale that sparkle. Yeah. That's it. Scale that sparkle. I mean, that's it. That's yeah. the game. Scale that sparkle. Dot co. Let's do it. I want to buy the domain name. Like, how many times does that happen? You have like literally like talking about that. I was like. Creators economy, I love it. Let's talk about the creators economy. Let's blog about it. Let's interview, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, I think about a series of interviews that I could do called Arm the Rebels, because like the way that Shopify said, no, like Arm the Creators, because Shopify said like, Arm the Rebels. And yeah. I think that creators are rebels. And so I, I literally bought like Arm the Rebels, like Arm the Creators.com, sorry. Yeah. Just because I was like, fuck, man, that would be so cool to do something that is named like that. And now I'm there. It's too you know, easy right? to buy domains. It's only $12. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's a whole story that you tell yourself in the future. And you exactly. fall in love with those stories. Exactly. Man, I could... I'm going to create a mailing list. I'm going to talk about this and that. Yeah. yeah, it's so funny. Gosh. And I talked about this with one of the people I previously interviewed. It's just talking online. Sharing the questions that you have is so powerful, right? The fact that you just shared, I am interested in the creator economy was more than enough for me to reach out to you. So sharing the questions you have is so powerful. And I think that also has the potential to generate that sparkle that you're talking about. And these opportunities multiply exponentially. Think about Lisbon right now. I spent like a month in Lisbon to escape the, the French lockdown, which is not going to work because they're probably going to lock like Lisbon as well. So that's another story. Like if I say in Lisbon, hey, if I have a beacon, even like a huge, how do you say like those things where you can- Loudspeaker? Like a loudspeaker. Even if I have like the loudest loudspeaker and I go every day in the place that is the most crowded with the most like people passing by and I say, I want to talk about the career economy. I'm not going to have any meaningful conversation probably. Probably I, maybe I'll get lucky and I have one person that actually read the things that I read and then now like we can co-create together the next brick that we're going to build on top. Even if that kind of leverage, right now I go on Twitter, I, I just tweet about that thing and specific people start because they're interested about that. They take that kind of light and they're like, I love that light. Like he's beaconing a light that I like. And then next thing you know, the people who have exactly the same light, and when I say light, it's like the same vibe or the same interest or the same weirdness or passion. Maybe it's like in the world, it's going to be like a, a thousand but already on Twitter, I got connected with 200 of them. And now we can talk about it. And, and maybe I didn't know nothing about the creator economy. Like I actually did. But even if I didn't know anything, yeah. just the fact that we jump on calls, we talk about it. I make sense about what I feel because I have to put it into words. And people do the same in front of me. And together, we are creating those conversations that we could never have in real life. Yeah, It's, it's water in the desert not the desert in this water in the desert so i'm thirsty for that kind of water with like specific minerals and i have it nowhere around me and boom straight away i can drink it's that's what it yeah. is yeah I, I think that's a really common thing that you see around creators it's not necessarily even i want to do this it's i need to do this it's i'm interested in this and it's that sparkle it's that passion it's that and it's really an obsession when i think about it to, and it's a good obsession create something and i think it's a recent trend it might be an american thing but i think increasingly people want to find meaning in their work and they want to find identity in their work i i know it's a phrase that's somewhat popular right identity work is that people want okay. to do something that helps them understand who they are 
And I'm interested in potentially how this enables that because it's very personal, I think. You share personal stories on your blog and I share personal stories on my blog, but but it's more than that. Obviously, our experiences inform the things that we create, right? I'm sure there were some formative experiences that drove you to create a music startup and, and that sort of defined the role that music played in your life. And so I wonder how exploring this weirdness, um, just going online and hopping on a call with people and having you validate my weirdness and, and maybe vice versa, how that plays into how people view themselves and and how they view their creations and how much feedback what I create has on how I feel about myself and and maybe the other way. Something I think it's a really way to fr- it's a really good way to frame it. The same way that and, and I'm not like an economic expert at all, so please take carefully what I'm going to say. But the difference between communism and capitalism, like one of the big difference, uh, is that like you let people just explore like pricing and so you don't have yeah. a central entity that is basically going to define what's the price of a croissant because i'm french obviously i'm going to take a croissant at the corner shop of like your bakery and and that lets like social institutions that are companies or like for profit that lets them discover and iterate and go back on what people want and how much they are ready to pay for it and all the economic ripples that follows I think it's the same way for authenticity and your identity. I think that identity is not something that is fixated, it's something that evolves. The same way that selling croissant is not something fixated, something that evolves. Maybe people will love like chocolate croissant, maybe people would love like super cheap croissant, maybe super expensive croissant, whatever. We don't judge that. The same way we don't judge what people are or like what people's identity is. And so what happens right now is that because you can explore and follow that curiosity into the like like rabbit hole of weirdness, uh, it doesn't mean that you're going to s- discover your weird identity, lock it, and then it's done. And then, oh, that's I'm a weird blah, blah. No, it's just that you're going to keep on finding different sides of you that are weird in some ways. And you're going to explore some of them, some of them not, some of them you're going to push it for next year, etc. But the same way that capitalism is about movement and is about like reflexibility, I think that this like... In, like what internet enables for the individual in terms of this identity, not the action, but like the identity, is to have this healthy movement of exploration and without having to, to be only a, a few limited choice like, that are like around them. And I think that in terms of, I'm not going to say in terms of mental health, uh, because obviously internet has like other uh, challenges yeah. around that, but yeah. in terms of, it's paradoxical because at the same time, you understand that you are something that like that deserves connection, like Mm -hmm. that weirdness deserves connection of other people that are like-minded, but they probably live scattered around the world. And at the same time, you might feel even more alone on your physical day-to-day with people still playing by the old rules. I don't know if if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I understand. I'll leave Twitter. I I know that you blundered into like social media and its impact on mental health there but i'll, I'll leave conversations or, or twitter threads and I'm, I'm sure it was similar for you reading naval's twitter thread feeling incredibly energized right 100%. and mindful seriously i listen to naval or i read naval or but it's it he is not social media it's just like one thing in social media that you can consume it's just like saying, oh, the like, fridge is an amazing thing because there is one great thing that you're eating from it. Or like fridge yeah, is right. a bad thing. Right, yeah. I think that like social media is the fridge. And right now we're talking about the apple that is Naval. And that's two different things. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it seems like more people are interested in talking about the 
I don't know, the dessert that people are just snacking on all the time. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. I um, agree with yeah. that thing. The, the the social dilemma. Did you see the social dilemma on Netflix? Or you must have heard about I, it, right? I, I I I couldn't. I started to watch an yeah. hour, like forty five minutes with my wife, and yeah. I was literally p- pushing pause all the time, saying this is why it's bullshit. Yeah. Uh, I, like all the time. I'm. So, it's true. Like a lot of things of what they say is true. Right. In theory, but it's always about the intention that you put behind, and and the intention, like when you share something. It's going to make everything different. And I thought the intention of like social dilemma was so bullshit that I, I struggle with it. <laughs> right. But it's true, ultimately. It's so bizarre that they create this fictional family and then create all these scenarios where, where the kid's not interacting with the other kids because social media sucked him in. It, it, it seemed to strip agency away from basically everyone in there. And it missed, I think, the positive parts of social media that we're starting to talk about, right? Without social media, I don't know that that you exist. Or maybe I do, but it's just different. There's so many positive aspects that it's it didn't even think about. And it was so reductive in that way. And so I, I share your frustration for sure. And I think that what you're saying is that like certain mindsets is really like benefiting from an unlimited upside that brings social media. So for a small subset of people who have a certain mindset, social media is unlimited upside. For other mindsets, the problem is that they don't share this upside because they are not going to get fascinated about all the possibilities of doing this, building that, and connecting with this. They're like, ah, fuck it, I don't care. But they will get like the huge downside that we don't get, which is going to be like addicted to social status signaling uh, over Instagram, etc., and, and they're going to suffer from things that we don't even understand. And they're not going to benefit from things that they don't understand we, we are. So I think it's really, that's going back to the thing. Like, it's like the big mindset fragmentation, uh, which is one of the reasons that I think that sharing this realization that we have to the general public being like shaking them and be like, just realize that shit is like super important. Otherwise, they're going to get left uh, like behind. Like behind. At some point, it's going to end well. It's not going to end well. And I think that we should be very clear when we talk about upside, right? The upside isn't just other people celebrating your work. It's no. celebrating other people's work. That's the upside. He's making money online as well and be free. That's a huge upside. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't take part in any of those three things and the jealousy starts to play and you see someone else creating something online or you, you see someone that's whose social status may have changed or, and people lie on social media all the time. So there's a lot of different sure. things going on there, but. But we are not sensitive to that so much. I personally, I'm not like, if I see yeah. someone like lying about the Instagram thing, I'm like, cool. They're like sharing a story. Mm-hmm. They're like, they're, it's like a movie where you're like stage the thing. It's fine. I mean, like, is it a good or bad? I don't know. For me, I just see it as a movie. Do I think movies are bad because they're not real? I don't. But the thing is that, I'm not sensitive to that, but I respect the people who are actually sensitive to that and are getting sucked into that and suffer from that. I, I'm not saying it doesn't exist for them. I'm just like, oh, too bad. Like they have big downside from social media that I, that I don't have. Yeah. The, the example I think of is I was in a class and, and this teacher, so it was a wellness class. It was a mandatory like wellness class at school, but they were trying to teach us about the harmful effects potentially of social media. And they were trying to teach us how to build resilience. And um, this teacher shared a story where she was on vacation and one of her friends messaged her on vacation 
saying that she was seeing the photos. Another friend, a third friend was posting about her vacation and feeling bad because she was just at home, not doing anything. Okay. <laughs> and then later they talked to that third friend was feeling bad because it looked like the friend, the other friend that was feeling bad was having a great time at home. And then all of a sudden my teacher was like, and I was actually feeling bad because it looked like both of these two were having a great time online. I'm just it's like, insane. the weirdest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it, it's, it's super, seriously, like at some point, I think that we're going to see social media, like that kind of like social media interactions. We're going to see it like food and we're going to realize that there is carbs, there is proteins and there is other all those like different compounds and whatever yeah, and we're going to yeah. be able to like say what is healthy and what is not yeah and for me one of the prediction that i have is that the same way that now if you have like an advertisement about like, a sugary drink in france there's gonna be like something saying oh please be careful like you have to yeah. move and stuff like disclaimer. that disclaimer like disclaimer like on any like a uh, coca-cola advertisement it's got to be there and then it's like voice i think it's gonna be something like that on instagram at some point where people are gonna be like be careful, right? It's again, like it's tiramisu is really cool. Like I love tiramisu, but if you eat too much of tiramisu, at some point you're going to fuck up your, like uh, your inflamed reaction. And so you have to be careful. Like food is not equal. Like food have like nu nutrient density. And I think that's where we're going to do the same. And I think that for me, if the equivalent of Instagram is the tiramisu, which is sugar, the way to counter act or what I say, like to counter this effect is to exercise, right? It's literally like so, as simple as that. You get calories that are not so good. You have to get them out, etc. I think that online for our generation, it's the same. If you eat too much, if you consume too much Instagram and too much sugar, either you have to be careful or you have to create equally more. Because if you create stuff, it's the equivalent of the exercise in the real world. And when I'm talking about creating things, could be creating content, could be creating whatever, right? Yeah. Like a small product that you try to sell, like just create something with your digital hands that will get your brain exercise and you will be able to get lean even if you eat a lot of instagram tiramisu <laughs> i i love that one of the people that i i follow online daniel burke he's a whoop sorry my girlfriend just called me it's for you <laughs> one of the people i i love to follow online daniel burke he's a, he's like a self-taught machine learning engineer but he talks about the difference between creation and consumption and this balance and so, right, we enter quarantine and all these consumption metrics probably go up. People are watching more Netflix. They're staying home more. And so the way to counteract that is just creation. And I, I love that exactly. you use the exercise metaphor. Because, yeah, that, I think you it, it I'll write something. I don't know if you share this, but it's like oxygen. It's you just feel better about yourself after putting something out there in the world. Exactly. It's a, it, it literally. And, and again, we for us, it's like water for fish it's obvious we live in the twitter ocean we are reading we are sharing time we're sharing thoughts with all of those like-minded people and for us it became something obvious but for what i'm trying and that's why I'm, i love like the the creator space so much and the creator economy so much is that it it's like because so many people have became creators that look like random dudes and girls on the internet like people are saying like oh like it's possible. It's not like this Mark Zuckerberg, like half autistic genius exactly, exactly, that yeah. be, like that went to like to create without having a life and everything, and just or like Jeff Bezos, all those people who are like again. I don't they're think like that model warriors. applies anymore. Yeah, no, it does. Again, if you think about like, I'm reading Napoleon's biography right now. Mm -hmm. Napoleon is incredible in the sense that he became a general. Not because he studied only, because of course he studied and he was amazing. Because he mm -hmm. put his life on the line 
like everyone all the time. So it was the first, like just going to the war. And so for me, like that kind of level of risk is for some kind of people, not everyone. It's like for some kind of people. Are you, you have the, the Alexa thing going on? That's so embarrassing. <laughs> No, no worries. Like it's classic shit. Like so, it's what is something that I said that just no. I, awesome. I had a I had a reminder, and I was just an idiot. It's oh, okay. it's funny though, because sometimes I'll be in class because I obviously take online class, and there'll be someone in the class with, you know, the name like so. so. Oh fuck! <laughs> I just think I'll start going good. crazy. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> no, sorry. No, no, it's your problem. No, so basically, that's the thought that it's that is that is liberating like you don't have to be napoleon you don't have to be a war general you don't have to put your life on the line because you take so much risk that maybe you're going to spoil your life like trying a big startup and then not have any other things in your life than the startup that's a choice that's the choice that people that w are going to war are making i think that they're glorious and they have huge upside in terms of glory if that happens this is the startup founder it's not good it's not bad it doesn't mean that this mindset should be like diminished or should be like a, like a should be banned it's just going to war for all the rest of the people who want to be content creators or indie hackers or blah or this or that it's fine because that's the point content creators or creators in general they don't look like war general they look like your random friend and be, why because they are that random they're not like outstanding personnel they're like anyone else it's just that they follow the curiosity and the weirdness that they have without wanting to be glorious. They just wanted to be happy or just be like free. And that's what I think is interesting with this creators movement, because I think that creators is the future of entrepreneurship in the sense of non-glorious, like non necessarily glorious entrepreneurship, where you can have a, a good life, good leverage, be happy with what you do, be like a free without risking your fucking life incredible thing to be said for the freedom that comes with being able to earn a living online it, it, even if you have a day job or just being able to quit your day job and uh, to me i think about lifestyle design just because you said freedom right and the opportunities making a thousand dollars every month or two thousand dollars every month and then just slowly building up how that unlocks different possibilities for for the way that you can live your life and structure your time and take yeah. control of your time in a way that you could not 10 years ago leverage amazing leverage just again like so i'm, I'm meeting a friend just after he's a is a like a professional basketball player but like he's, he's about to transition into the post athletic like a uh, life and then it's, oh yeah, I'm a coach. So like and right now I have people that I coach and like they do, they do exercise with me, et cetera. And, and that's awesome. But Lisbon and Lisbon, like right now it's coronavirus, it's a bit more complicated to meet people in real, et cetera. Plus it's bro, like if I do one course, then like the next course, I would just start everything again. It's like the opposite of the famous build one, build sell, one sell twice. twice. Yeah. So I'm like, then you just have to productize yourself, right? You just have to take those apps that now exist where you can structure a program, like just the same way that you would structure a program, but you just do it once and then you sell it how many times you want. And that's the product because you just productize yourself. And on top of that, you create content and you build a funnel that will beacon your specific vibe around fitness. What I mean by that is that, of course, like there's a lot of people who are doing fitness. But there's just one you, and that one you is one, an ex-basketball player, so it's basketball, two, 
loves like eating just fruits and vegetables and no meat, which is like already something specific. Three, as a specific vibe that is like friendly, non-threatening, yet like super athletic, etc. And you can find other things. But if you decide that this is who you are right now, that doesn't mean it's going to stay who you are forever. But right now, this is that's what the kind of things you want to explore, the intersection of different weirdness. And you want to beacon it out there. The same way that if you go to a party, there's 30 people, you're going to interact like you're going to click with three people, 10% because of whatever mm-hmm. you want that like weird clicking with people to be put at scale. So people will be like, oh yeah, sure. I don't want just like a fitness instructor. Yeah. I want a friend and friendship is messy. We don't know why people are liking each other. So you're going to find your niche, not just because you're going to do specific types of exercise only, but just because your vibe is super specific already doing exercise. And, and that's how, for me, like this like explosion of niche possibilities makes yeah. that anyone can actually build a specific audience by scaling their vibe and actually like having scalable friendship in a way and be able to, to, to monetize it in a productized way and not just a freelancer way of doing one project after one project. That's for me what really defines a, a career, I would say. Uh, I think... The internet can be a goldmine if you know where to look. And I think that's going to be so nice for people, right? Because that is someone who has tremendous knowledge of the subject, is reliable, is trustworthy. And, and he's just in some, potentially just in some corner of the internet, ready to provide value to people. And there's millions of people like that. And there's billions of people online, so like we can definitely match them somewhere. So yeah, I would love to talk to you for hours and hours, but I just, I want to ask one last question. Sure. And so that question is just, what makes you the most hopeful for the future or what energizes you the most about the future, whether that's for the world or some global trend or just in, in your own life? So you're asking me for a positive take on the future. No, because I think that the future is probabilistic. And so I, I always had this tendency to be super optimistic about human nature and about the future in general, because I am a natural enthusiast. But at the same time, I'm also like quite uh, rational and, and I look at the world as much truth as I can. Not okay. is it good or bad? I don't care. I just want to see it how it, how it is. Even Of course, I'm biased. So obviously, like I'm going to be redundant, but like the world has, has a lot of challenges. And I think that for me, the biggest challenge that we have right now, of course, climate change, of course, all those things. But like underlying that is that we're shifting from a world, you know, that was organized around institutions, some institutions that were like beneficial for like the organization of the world, of the winners of the world. Mm-hmm. And right now, because we opened the gates with this post-permission world, like literally the unit, the measure or the unit of the world becomes the individual and not the structure above them. So we're destructing all of the structures, which means like we're destructing the structure of religion, like the institution of religion, of the state, of the family unit, of like the sexual identity, etc. Is it good? Is it bad? I'm not here to judge at all. But what I am at the same time really hopeful for and at the same time, worried of the in-between is like we have those institutions that are like castle. And right now we're like basically liberated anyone in the world to come deconstruct brick by brick all of those castles. We storm the castle, yeah. To actually build another amazing castle. So I'm super excited about like what we're going to build next and the, the, the structure and the institutions and the organizations 
uh, that are going to be maybe because right now it's like it's we have an adolescent crisis about individuality. Everything is about the individual. Everything is about like yourself and not about forgetting about yourself, which I think is always a balance between the two. But fine, let's be it. Let it be. It's like that. But then what I'm super excited about is that once those individuals are going to free themselves of a lot of things and, and are going to be able to be empowered and mindful about it, they're going to go out to the next stage, which was not think about yourself, understand yourself, but which will be forget about yourself. But having done this first work, right? Then they're going to build amazing new ways of collaborations, of course, of new belonging forms, new collective formats. Of course, like this is going to be a new world. So I'm really excited about that world. And I think that creators are people who are definitely part of that world as entrepreneurs building for it. But in between, it's going to be a fucking mess. We're going to be in for super shitty, but let's just think about what's going to happen next and brace ourselves. Okay. Awesome. I just, I want to thank you again. This was so nice of you to do this and so many unbelievable ideas that I'm going to take away from this and think about and, and share, whether it's on the blog or definitely, I think, end up being in the book. I think the idea of a post-permission world is so powerful, especially for people my age. And so I, I want to spread right that gospel as much as I can. So thank you. Thank you so much for doing this again. Thank you for for taking the time. And I hope that this book is going to be awesome. I have no doubt about it. Okay. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please like, subscribe, tweet, text, and share so that more people can find the podcast. Take care and we'll see you next time.